Hi, everybody, and welcome to the December 28th edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Tazzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. This is our special look at the year ahead. We dressed in our finest holiday sweaters last week, so tonight we thought we'd dress a little festive for the new year. So we hope you enjoy that. Let's start off by all of us giving our one word or phrase that you think will best describe 2019. Patty Calhoun from Westward, your one word or phrase for next year. Colorado. Ah. I'm playing off the James Carden calling us the coolest floor in the dorm, but let's face it, usually Colorado is pretty cool depending on no matter how hot the rest of the country gets. <laughs> that is very true. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, your one word or phrase for 2019. Fascist. The left and the right in the United States and globally are both increasingly fascist and of course they like to fight and hate each other over this their petty differences they imagine themselves uh, but uh, we've had two presidents in a row who resemble South American strongmen the left uh, is increasingly under uh, essentially Marxism Marxist which is a form of uh, left-wing fascism and I think we will see uh, more and more of that to come Eric Sonnen, political analyst, your uplifting word or phrase for 2019. Because well, I'm Mr. <laughs> Uplift here. How about testy? I think it is going to be a testy year. I think we're going to be tested. I think our constitutional protections and systems are going to be tested. I think uh, there will be foreign threats and foreign upheavals that will test us. And let's hope the upheavals at home are not too great. But uh, it's going to be a testy year. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor of 5280 Magazine. Wrap it up for us. Your one word or phrase for 2019. I feel like this got very serious. Um, I'm, I'm going to say 2020 because we're going to spend most of 2019 talking about what's going to happen in 2020. Well said. I like that. It's a nice way to kick that off. Well then, Natasha. 2019 will mark the beginning of Governor, Governor Jared Polis's administration, where he will have fellow Democrats in all of the other state officer positions. The legislative session will open with a Democratic state House and Senate and new leadership in both wings of the Capitol. How Democrats will utilize their complete control of the levers of government in Colorado remains a big question heading into next year. Patty, Democrats running the legislature and the governor's office. Kids in a candy store or responsible adults? Somewhere in between, probably adults with a sweet tooth, I think is what we'll see, because there are people who have all their pet projects, and they are going to want to really take a bite out of as many of those as possible. Will there be enough uh, sane and sober heads to prevail on things that are just way too pie in the sky? It's happened before, but it's not the ideal situation for Polis going in, just because you like to have someone you can blame, and right now it's wide open. He's going to have a honeymoon of at least, what, 10 days. He gets inaugurated on the 8th. Um, the legi first bills will really only be voted on you know, a couple weeks later. So he's going to have a little time to shake things out, to have his blue shoes party or his blue sneakers party. We'll see just how cool Denver looks. I think I want to live in my Denver rather than um, David's. And for that matter... Eric's. Looks like very bad, very bad years. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll try to keep it as rosy as we can around here for the ne next year. Uh, David, in 2013, Democrats did uh, overreach on some topics and paid for it the following year with uh, some uh, recalls in the state Senate. Do you think those are lessons learned or it's all that be damned, let's just get done as much as we possibly can? I think there, there's a division within the Democrats. Um, you will hear some voices who will assure you that at least at the leadership levels, uh, they know that repeating the, the wild rumpus of 2013 uh, is 
fun as it may be at the time, uh, is destructive in the long run. But the uh, the Jacobin element in the Democratic Party is stronger than it, it, it's ever been. So there are absolutely plenty, not just a few, which there always are, but plenty of, of real hardcore ultras on lots of issues. And you know we're now in a situation where you're you're on the third backup system, uh, which is in this case it, it's the governor's good instincts, um, and he's he's been uh, strong on education reform. So I think at least on the there are folks in the party who would like to, as much as possible, wipe out charter schools and, and all forms of educational choice, and I think Polis will be uh, a, a solid opponent of that. Eric, do you see anyone uh, managing the brake pedal this year, uh, the upcoming year, 2019, at the legislature? That's been my question. It's who, who, who controls the brakes and is there a brake pedal at all? The word I come back to is the word tenuous. I think what distinguishes this coming legislative session from some in the past is once the Democrats really took over at 2004 election, so January 2005, and for a number of years thereafter, even after 2010 for a while, there was this feeling that the Democratic majority was tenuous, that it was at risk, that they always had to constantly be careful. I don't get that sense anymore. I think there is now a feeling that this is a, this majority has some permanence, it has some security to it, they don't have to be afraid of their shadow, they don't always have to run in fear of the next election, which encourages a lot of the instincts that Patty and David were talking about. When you add that on top of the Democratic Party becoming much more ideologically animated, much more left, leftward tilting. So I, I think there's going to be an attitude of go big here. I think that if there is a brake pedal, it might not be a person. It just might be the budget itself. It's at some point you have to figure out how to pay for it. You know, pre, 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 kindergarten for all, full day kindergarten. Great. Who's going to pay for it? Early childhood education statewide. Great. Who's going to pay for it? A lot of these other big dreams also have big uh, financial tickets. So maybe the budget becomes the limiting factor. Natasha, what do you think when we're sitting around the same table and let's call it the uh, middle of May, the legislative mm -hmm. session has finished, we're through the first five months of Jared Polis's uh, first administration, what are the kind of themes, what, what are you expecting that, us, that we'll be talking about? I think we'll be talking about this very question. How much um, did they get away with? Did Was there just this, this very progressive um, agenda that was pushed through? I, I have to say, I don't necessarily envy that position that they're in because anything that they will be that will be passed will be done so under the cloud of well they're just getting this through because they have control of all three um, areas and and whether that's justified or not and then in addition to that anytime they they stretch it's going to come up as well so they have this this difficult line to walk between following through on campaign fight our campaign promises and they made plenty of those I mean from healthcare to education to transportation and beyond. So how many of those can they follow through with to make sure they get elected? But how many? How do they also make sure that they don't go through with too much so that they don't get reelected? And that's going to be a difficult line for them to figure out this, this session. Should be fun to watch. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water because the election season was over, here comes the Denver mayoral election. Along with the Right to Survive initiative being on the Denver ballot, the, the spring civic elections in Denver could end up dominating the conversation the same way the 2018 midterms did in Colorado. David, can Mayor Michael Hancock avoid a runoff election? Possibly, yes. There's, there's lots of game to be played. In fact, it's barely gotten started. 
So, sure, yeah, you, you can imagine scenarios where he does great. You know, I, I wouldn't call it a 50-50 bat that he gets through without a runoff, but it, it's, uh, we, we've had plenty of, of mayors who sometimes seemed in shaky shape at one point, and then, uh, you know, Bill McNichols uh, re-elections uh, sometimes were, didn't look good at one point, and then he ended up winning comfortably. Um, I, I think an, uh, the Right to Survive initiative is, is very important, and that's you know, obviously something the city council didn't want to pass, and this is exactly why it's good that we have ballot initiatives so that people can decide on very important issues for their city. And this is something which will, uh, if enacted, uh, have a very huge influence on Denver. It is to say that if, if you can turn every public park into a permanent campground for the homeless, and in fact if some uh, guy who's living in a car wants to park in front of your house and live there, you know, for months or years, uh, that person can. Um, that could have very large quality of life impacts on all, in all possible uh, directions. And voters, I hope, will uh, look at, at other cities that have tried it and see what the results were there. Eric, in 2018, we had a spirited, uh, to say the least, a governor's race uh, and election. Lots of money being spent there. But the ballot issue didn't overshadow it, but it had just as much, if not more, money spent and headlines dedicated to it. Could we see that same dynamic in the Denver election where we have a mayoral race that is important and makes its own headlines, but in the Right to Survive initiative making its own energy uh, with the ballot? Well, I think the Right to Survive initiative will get plenty of attention, plenty of discussion. But no, I think the mayoral race will dominate. I think we ought to fasten our seatbelts. I think this is going to be a fun ride, uh, at least. It's going to be a ride. We didn't have a race here four years ago. It was a you know, just an automatic slam dunk re-election for Michael Hancock. That will not be the case here. I think the real contest is the early contest for who is going to emerge as the challenger to Michael Hancock. I think there will be a challenger. I think whether it's our friend Penfield Tate or a woman Jamie Gillis, possibly Lisa Calderon, but I, my money would be on either Tate or Gillis, unless there's a new name that we haven't heard yet, as the one that emerged. I flash back in, you know, 1983, going way back... There was a big pool of candidates. Federico Pena emerged as the credible challenger to Dale Tooley and Bill McNichols. When Norm Early was the front runner, Wellington Webb emerged as the challenger. Hickenlooper was not the front runner when he got in, but he quickly emerged. Uh, Mary DeGroat in 95, when Webb was vulnerable, emerged from a pack. She to won become, the initial election, right? She, she, she won the initial election, lost the runoff. Uh, and then most recently, Hancock was not the favorite. That probably... That uh, honor belonged to Chris Romer eight years ago, and Hancock emerged from the pack. Denver mayor elections are not like Senate elections, not like governor's elections. It's much more a reach-out-and-touch kind of situation. People feel much more immediately affected and immediately involved. Somebody's going to emerge from this pack and give Hancock an interesting race, uh, in my estimation. Natasha, in 2018, uh, in a statewide uh, campaign that we saw all these different counties and communities vote no on a lot of ballot initiatives in Denver was this island of everything goes. They, it was, if it was a tax initiative, it was a whatever initiative, it all passed in Denver. They were, Denverites were in a very generous mood. Does that, uh, how does that affect the civic elections in spring, knowing what we just saw in 2018? 
Well, I think it'll be interesting to see if we, we are that positive. What's interesting about the city election is that now we're going to drill down to our to more, I guess, differences. These are neighborhood races. So if you look at, at the um, who's running against who for for these elections so far, almost all of the races are contested, from clerk um, down to the very city various city council positions as well. So the mayoral race is going to get a ton of, of coverage, and we'll talk, spend a lot of time talking about them. But I'm going to also focus quite a bit on the city council races, because I think that's going to give us an indication of where there are differences in the city, how people feel about growth, how they feel about changes in their communities, how they feel about housing, how they feel about all kinds of issues that may not be as, um, oh, we all agree on this as we saw in the last November election. Patty, the Right to Survive initiative reminds me a little bit about Proposition 112 from 2018, where you have, it, it's seen as a little extreme. It has a grassroots support, but not a whole lot of money behind it. And a large coalition of businesses, and from what I've seen, other organizations who are terrified of it passing. Do you think that's an apt comparison as you see it for next spring? Well, except that 112 didn't pass, and it's not impossible that this will. You've got to remember that the measures that the boosters and the business people who are going to be fighting the right to rest, their transportation bill didn't pass. So some of the other measures they were pushing didn't pass statewide. And we had all those kind of social engineering ballot measures in Denver, which even raised taxes, pass, including one that's going to drastically change campaign finance, not on this election, but on the next one in Denver. So, I mean, we're going to have psilocybin mushrooms. We might be voting on whether we have to vote on the Olympics. We're going to have a lot of issues that I think will really galvanize this city, and especially because in the neighborhoods, they're also going to be involved because of their city council races. So we're going to have plenty to talk about for the next six months here. Yes, we will. The 2018 election brought two large issues into focus in Colorado, transportation and energy. This year's election did not provide clarity on future progress in those issues, but certainly set the stage for a potentially exciting 2019. Eric, do you think transportation funding yet sees movement in the 2019 legislative session or in other ways? Not sure. I'd add one to that list. Even though the education funding initiative didn't come close, Amendment 73, to being successful, let's not forget Democrats are now in charge of all the levers, and this is holy grail to Democrats, and this issue will still be on their agenda. So I think you have to add it uh, to the list. With regard to transportation, it strikes me that Democrats are now in a bit of a conundrum's probably too strong, but they have a challenge. Democrats historically have been the party, the urban party, Denver, and a few other locales, Boulder, obviously, etc. Democrats now, with their huge majorities in the legislature, they're not just an urban party, they're very much a suburban party. Democrats run Jefferson County. Democrats are largely Jefferson County, almost totally Arapahoe County, not to mention Adams County and Larimer County, etc. So while some people in Boulder and Denver, when they think transportation, the first thing that comes to mind is transit or more bike lanes or whatever, in a lot of those suburbs, no, no, thank you. We still want to move some cars, and we're tired of being as congested as we are and as much time in traffic. So I think Democrats are going to have to reach some accommodation between urban interests and suburban interests, because those suburban interests are no longer Republican interests. They're increasingly Democratic interests. Natasha, oil and gas had a huge fight on their hands in 2018, but it doesn't appear that 2019 is going to be any picnic for them either. What do you think? 
Oh, I think absolutely. And I think that's just the way it is going to be as long as that's an important industry in the Colorado economy. Um, there's going to be conflict between um, oil and gas interests and, and growth and how that all fits together. I think both with the, the sort of energy and oil and gas and um, the transportation is an issue as well. The, the question of clarity, which is where we started this, is, is key because I think the legislature is, is tasked with asking, did voters reject this because they didn't care? Is this sort of the teenager who wants to complain about things but don't want anything fixed? They just they want to get it off their chest, you know, so we complain about traffic, but we don't have any solutions. Um, is it that, or is was it a rejection by the voters to say, no, you need to fix this in a fiscally responsible way under the laws and regulations of the state? And I think that's what the legislature has to figure out. Of all the things on their wish list, including transportation, including energy, including education, and all the other things that we've discussed, which of these are they going to be able to fund and why do they need to fund it and and I don't think we have a clear answer on that yet. Uh, Patty, everyone talks about transportation funding in Colorado and everyone talked about or at least throughout 2018 that our roads are in terrible shape we got to do something about it but both ballot issues went down handily. Do the, does the legislature take that as a mandate that we've got to do something ourselves or as a reason to just forget about it because hey uh, voters didn't uh, weren't all that crazy about it so we can relax. Well, you would hope they take a strong look at it and do some kind of variation of the two measures that were up there. But I haven't seen that anyone is really pushing for that yet. And I'm going to predict right now that the one thing we won't see coming out of this legislature is the long lamented fix for the Gallagher Amendment and the ratcheting effect of Tabor and blah, 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 blah. People have been talking about it for 25 years. Now you've got all Dems. They could do something. Don't see it happening. The fiscal thicket will remain a fiscal thicket. Uh, David, the hospital provider fee uh, bill that became law, I guess it was two sessions ago, uh, set up really what we have as a budget surplus right now in the Colorado legislature. They have money to play with because of the combination of that law and the the, uh, the federal, federal tax, tax cuts, reform. right? Yeah. Federal tax reform. So, and, and I probably have my details off there, but it seems that there's money to play with at the Capitol. Do you think someone's going to be spent either? Uh, dealing with renewable energy or transportation or anything else? No, the money will go primarily into the pockets of the Colorado Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers. It'll be a big boost in education spending. Um, and uh, what remains will, and in, a, and in the single-payer takeover elimination of health care choice, we'll see exactly what it turns out to be. But there will be some money put aside uh, to subsidize that, which based on the experience of every other state in the history of this country, will be grossly inadequate for the enormous costs it will inflict uh, on the public. But the energy bill, with truth and labeling, will be called a bill to increase XL profits at the expense of poor people. And we'll call ourselves green for, for doing that. And as Patty said, no, they're not going to do anything on transportation. Uh, they view that as a, a, a frivolity uh, if you're, like, driving your own car. That, that's an immoral activity. As Faith, uh, then Representative Faith Winter, now Senator-elect, uh, said we need to be getting people out of their cars. Not necessarily them when they're commuting to the Capitol, but all the little people, uh, they ought to be taking the bus uh, or the light rail on the, the days that works. You raise a good point. That bus stop at uh, Colfax and Lincoln is not full of legislators. Uh, a lot of other folks, but not legislators. <laughs> or bathroom doors. <laughs> That's a very good point, Patty. 
It seems the face of Denver is changing every day with new neighborhoods and new names and new buildings popping up everywhere. Denver and Colorado may see a bit of a slowdown in 2019, but it looks to remain a hot topic of conversation. Uh, Natasha, let's make a quick one of this. Growth in Denver, especially the whole uh, urban corridor, it's a huge issue. How does that change in 2019, if at all? I think it just becomes more of a heightened issue. This will be the issue in the mayoral race, I believe. Um, I also think that the the news from the Amazon bid is not over. I think the sites that were identified there are going to be hot spots of activity for potential developers. I think the neighborhoods in transformation are going to continue to be in transformation. Um, and this could be a weekly topic on, on this show as a result. Patty, I figured this whole idea of name, renaming neighborhoods had jumped the shark when I saw a sign uh, near Sloan's Lake, and it's like, welcome to Slow High. I was like, no. We just, <laughs> we just have to at some point just draw a line in the sand. Does 2019 draw a line in the sand at stupid nicknames for neighborhoods, or are we just in for more? Oh, the, the developers will be marketing new ones. For an example of what we're up against right now, the La Loma site in Jefferson Park, which has been booming, you know, they just came up with a new plan, 15 stories on that site. They're not going to have a parking place. And there's plenty of room. There's not going to be a parking place for every unit. And if you look at those streets, and there's streets like it all over Denver, so congested already, and that's going to be heading downtown over what's going on in the Platte Valley with all Elitch's redevelopment. So people at a certain point are just going to say, sometimes we need cars, sometimes we need to get into our houses. Can we at least have reasonable development? David, does our considerable growth create a pushback on those folks that just want bike lanes? You can, you can have bike lanes that are sensibly designed. You shouldn't have the ones like the Mayor Hancock inflicts, which are more for the purpose of obstructing traffic uh, than for easing the flow of bikes. Uh, you know, they tried that in Boulder. Uh, it didn't work well. The, the bike lanes on Broadway are a, a, a bad idea for a major arterial. You know, you could put the bike lanes on a coma, uh, which would be safer for the bicyclists and, and everybody else. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a big issue is, is the mayor's uh, anti-mobility uh, record. Eric, does it, be, does it become this hinge issue for folks who want to not only run against the mayor but find something where Denverites might be angry about something? They're, they're happy and generous when it comes to tax initiatives, but some of them, I imagine, are, are pretty ticked off about how Denver is growing. Oh, it is the issue. If, if Michael Hancock is vulnerable, if somebody else is going to rise, as we discussed, it is uh, uh, around this issue. Yes, there are police and uh, sheriff issues and some other things that particularly uh, mobilize and activate the minority communities and others. But uh, the growth, congestion, the character of Denver is the issue uh, of this election. My prediction would be that Kansas City is not the only city in 2019 that uses Denver sort of as a negative example of who we don't want to become. Let's maintain our own character. I've always thought that was our uh, just desserts of if we're going to have exactly. Californication and all of the different things we're saying here, then someone's going to say about Denver. So that's a good point, Eric. So we can't, we won't go so bold to say that we already have a disgrace of the week or disgrace of the year for 2019 or say something nice. We're doing a little bit differently right now. We're going to offer a global or national prediction and then we'll follow up with a local prediction. So, Patty, start us off with what you feel is a global or national prediction you can get as dire or wacky as you feel like. Well, playing off my original word of Colorado, I think Hickenlooper, as he runs or decides if he's running for president, will be a refreshing voice. Whether he will be cool enough to make the top tier, we'll see. But Colorado will look good. Meanwhile, 
impeachment or indictment in the in the nation, which is going to come first? David. This Trump TV show, which I hate, but apparently CNN gets huge ratings for it, and it's what the only topic they cover, uh, is going to do a twist of the 1998 Clinton series, where this one is going to be about he gave perhaps illegal uh, payments to his various collections of, of mistresses uh, over the years. I like that twist. Eric? I'd suggest that we are going to look back as 19 goes along on the meeting this past week between President Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that seemed so testy. And we'll look back at points in 2019 on that as a nostalgic and how well they got along together because it's going to get worse before it gets better. The good old days. Yeah, the good old days. Natasha. I think this maybe builds on all of these. I think um, partisanship, uh, the divisiveness between our parties is only going to get worse. And uh, Sally, I'm usually up this round the table, but I'm not going to let you go out on the limbs all by yourselves. But it's uh, the only thing that brings a country together and gets somebody off the hot seat is some sort of global warlike distraction. I, I don't think it's, a, it's above uh, us in 2019 to see something like that. I hope not. I hope I'm wrong, as usual, but it, uh, it wouldn't shock me. Now time for a local prediction. Patty. Well, I think we will see a wave of nostalgia for 3-2 beer as it is finally <laughs> eliminated after 85 silly years of just having 3-2 beer in convenience stores and grocery stores. And there's a whole long history about it. But finally it is going out and real beer will be in liquor stores. I mean, liquor stores and grocery stores. I hope it's like the, those Prohibition videos, the films you see where they're smashing all over in the gutter. It'll be the proper place for 3-2 oh, beer. the streets beer. of Denver are going to be swimming in 3-2 beer. <laughs> David. More spending on the big by of taxpayer money on the biggest businesses, and more spending uh, for people who choose not to work, and all at the expense of the people who do work for an income and pay taxes. Eric, well, that one's an absolutely safe bet. Uh, mine, I have no knowledge of this or no idea of what he's thinking, but I'll go out on a limb and suggest that Jared Polis, Governor Polis, may rain on the Olympics parade and may. Uh, Throw some cold water on that and effectively put the kibosh on that. Natasha. Rockies win the World Series? Oh. No, 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 seriously. I, I think voter turnout is going to be incredibly high in the May election, which bodes well for our democracy. And uh, locally, I, I think we'll actually, so we have seen the top of the kombucha bar market in Loja. I, I see, I've told my buddies about this. We're, it's, it's, it, we're, we're going to see a finally decrease. It's a bold prediction, I know, but again, probably be wrong. That is all the time we have tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our glimpse into the crystal ball for 2019. We are so very grateful for your lasting support of all of this program that is made possible by you, our viewers. And we hope to see you back in 2019 for another year of fun. We'll be, we'll be starting our 27th season. That's right, wow. 27th season of Cardo Inside Out, all made possible by you, our viewers. We're very grateful for your support. I'm Dominic Dizzuti, and from all of us at Colorado Public Television, we hope you have a wonderful and safe new year. Good night.